0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to OuijaCast. This is episode 15. Uh, we've had a bit of a break because of uh, Corona and shit like that. And we're still in lockdown. I think this is the fifth time I've said we've been in lockdown because we've mm-hmm. been locked down for a wee while. Uh, this week, we've actually got a Scottish person for once. Uh, welcome, Aiden. Hello. Who are How's you and what do you do?
1: Uh, so, as you just said, I'm Aiden. Um, <laughs> i um uh, i listened to the last podcast and and i'm just gonna steal what chris said or, or the podcast before and say uh i'm a, a security consultant um because that kind of like covers a lot of the different things that i do in my day job um and makes me sound more professional than i am
2: mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, uh yeah yeah uh so I guess uh, we'll just start where we, we always do, um, and can kind I of get a feel for kind of how long you've been in the industry for. So how, when would you say your career started?
1: Yesterday. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, feels
1: like it. Um, yeah, uh, I guess kind of professionally, I, I, I got my first uh, pen testing job in 2015, um, But before that, I was kind of uh, tinkering with security and kind of like Mm -hmm. doing it uh, on the side, kind of freelance and stuff. I have uh, friends that, you know, have software companies and and, uh, web development companies and stuff. And I was kind of just doing, I think I was calling it security auditing at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So my first kind of CV when I was trying to get into the industry just had me down as like security auditor for like six different companies because I'd like
0: run an end map against the box for one of them one time so, so say, uh, are you doing but... control f and looking for exec and just any yeah. c <laughs> oh i can do code reviews now <laughs> yeah
1: exactly right um yeah yeah, yeah. C- c- control f for password um so yeah that that uh, i guess yeah my, my kind of professional career started five years ago but i've i've been doing security in some form or another since sort of my mid-teens really um i think i kind of started off doing uh more uh, grey kind of hacking, grey ha- hacking stuff that's questionably
0: legit. You'll find it's pronounced cream. Yeah.
2: <laughs> cream yeah. hacking?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a
2: new coloured hat, but. <laughs>
0: um, uh, sorry, it's an inside joke there. It's not, yeah, it's sh- not pronounced crime around these too. parts. It's pronounced cream. It's the cream files. Uh, I see.
2: I see. <laughs> yeah. There's not like an inside joke, like, when you're publishing a podcast to, like... Yeah, public.
0: Yeah. <laughs> public, public podcast that nobody else is going <laughs> to... Well, got, got to have inside jokes for at least the three other people that might listen to the <laughs> that podcast get that get it. It. Yeah. the joke.
2: There's three. Yeah. I thought it was, like, mostly bots, uh, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, that's interesting, yeah. So, yeah, just kind of getting started kind of early. So, maybe a kind of soft intro into the industry rather than a diving in like in a two two feet would you say
1: um i think probably a bit of both like um the the uh, to be honest it, i found it a lot easier to do the freelance and stuff that was that was fairly comfortable because mm-hmm. there was i mean i didn't have things like authorization forms or like scope <laughs> letters or anything like that it was like hey can i you know run nmap and burp suite against your 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 server and your web application yeah, go for it. Like, let us know if you find anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's there's kind of tacit agreement, but for sure, borderline CMA breaching. But, um, I, I, yeah, I think then when I kind of got into industry, uh, it was very much two feet in, in and right in at the deep end. My, um, So I was doing kind of security auditing um, and wanted to turn more professional, wanted to get kind of a full-time job. Uh-huh. And every single place i looked at was uh fairly keen on on degrees some kind of some kind of degree or uh higher kind of college uh qualification uh-huh. so i didn't have any of those uh because i was a layabout <laughs>
0: and so um you're also from the Vale, so it's doing yeah, that's you. it right <laughs>
1: we're known for it Um, so yeah, when that kind of, when, when I kept kind of hitting that wall and nobody even wanted to give me kind of like an internship, I was like, I will work for free. Like I have a, (laughs) I have a portfolio of work. I can show you what I can do. Let me in the door, please. Um, and there was such a resistance to it. So I was like, all right, I'll bite the bullet and I, I will go to university and I'll get myself a degree and then I'll definitely get a job. And I went to university and I was super keen. I was like, I'll go to conferences and I'll, I'll go and chat to employers and I'll, I'll get myself, uh, get myself a job. Um, and, uh, in, uh, February of 2015, I went to Uh, security up in Dundee Mm -hmm. um, and just badgered everybody that I could (laughs) that I could get near Um, like hey do you have a job hey do you do internships hey do you do summer like placements I'm doing university can I work for you my part-time everybody was kind of I think a lot of them were there to kind of pick up graduates um, Mm -hmm. bring graduates onto the team Uh, but I conveniently ended up speaking to uh, a wonderful man called Steve Lord. Uh, who who took pity upon me and offered <laughs> me an internship um which was more of a sort of like a summer placement um and he kind of laid the ethics out for me like day one he was like we don't have people work for free he's like you're gonna get paid and you're gonna have to work and i was like that's fine by me yeah. that sounds great um nice i so that kind of gave me my gave me my intro uh in, into the industry um
0: what, yeah. did you, what did you start out doing like obviously you said you started out doing like auditing and auditing was like in map and shit but like when when yeah. steve gave you that internship was it like pen <laughs> testing or no. was it like <laughs> no
1: no um so so like my a, alongside kind of doing the the security kind of auditing and stuff i'd been doing a bit of systems administration a little bit of software development and and whatnot um and that kind of fit fit uh or kind of plugged the hole that they were looking to fill um, mm-hmm. kind of having somebody handle some of the back office IT stuff and support the testers and also um build out some of their projects that they'd been working on for a while. Um, so he said, come on, do that for three months and you can shadow on the testing um and and kind of f- get get you know a feel for for what pen testing's mm-hmm. like. Um and yeah, did three months and he said, uh, would you like a, a job? He's like, you, know, you you fit in well, you're committed to your work. Do you wanna do you wanna stick around? um and so the calculation was do i stick around for another three years of university debt or do i get out and get a job which was really the whole point of kind of going to university
2: 100% um, yeah yeah so i jumped Easy to <laughs> <start>. yeah, <laughs> yeah 100% two feet yeah. in for that one yeah that
0: was terrifying <laughs> yeah i bet
2: like, it's the same what it as what I, I did, did
0: yeah i mean like i, I left uni after th- like people people are like oh you've only got like a bachelor's degree i'm like yeah i left and got a job in industry like fuck that yeah. like going on and doing um, like was the the option to do a master's or go and get money and I'm like well mm. I mean I can fucking stay on and do work or I can go and learn and get money and I think you probably agree that going and learning and doing stuff on the job you learn a hundred times more than you would at uni and yeah, ha- hands on so. practical experience is worth its weight in gold and if you're going to get paid to do it why not
1: yeah certainly um, I, I struggled a little bit excuse me <clears throat> I struggled a little bit with the uh the curriculum so to speak like not that it was not that it was difficult but that it felt somewhat dated and i think that's always a problem with sort of academia is that it that is going to lag behind an industry that moves so fast yeah um but yeah kind of having that opportunity to go from doing kind of very light touch security testing and things like that to being like here's a full-on engagement you know it's it's Twenty man days. There's four of us on this project. You've got to write a report. You've got to keep track of all your data. You, you know, there's there's more at stake than you just pointing out issues and stuff, and kind of really getting that that full on um, kind of both barrels experience was was I think really really valuable. Um, and what was what was kind of convenient was I have a lot of friends who stayed on the course, mm-hmm. um, and so I can kind of see myself parallel to them over the years. Um, some of them have really really excelled but for the most part I think a lot of people got bogged down as as, as time went on um, I think kind of uh, as I say kind of academia's somewhat lagging behind the between behind the industry itself has has made things more difficult for people graduating because mm. um, they're
2: not really leaving with the kind of maybe the required skill set that yeah. someone would want like right now you know I'd imagine is probably part <laughs> of it you're effectively probably taking on uh maybe what's or certainly from what I've noticed, like what's considered to be, you know, uh you know, a, a good template, like for somebody to learn the rest of the skills you need to do pen testing by the looks yeah. of it, you know, someone willing to yeah. learn it's learned before, but they might not have the immediate skills as you'd maybe expect on the outside looking in when you leave uni, you'd normally for example when I did audio, you'd probably be expected to have the skills to, you know, hit the ground running. You work, work in a recording studio you know start doing research and stuff but yeah it seems to just not be the case and i guess it's just down to how complicated and fast-paced and fast-moving the industry is like you say
0: well i mean the the, the other problem with unis and i I had this conversation the other day with someone about it the the problem with security degrees in particular is that they are too focused on security and often Mm -hmm. moving into the world of not just pen testing, but blue team and engineering and all sorts of things, you need to have a fundamental understanding of IT. And quite a lot of the time, these university degrees are very focused around maybe just forensics or just ethical hacking or uh, just a bit of risk or management. And while that is applicable to parts of the industry, it's not, it might not be applicable to the certain field you're in. And specifically in pen testing, Aidan probably agree with me on this, you deal with so many different technologies. So, yeah. and, and if you don't have a fundamental understanding of IT, you're going to struggle very quickly and it, it, i suppose one of the skills that's required as a pen tester is the ability to learn and i suppose you could say that someday that goes to university if you can't learn you're going to be really shit at doing a degree because that's half the battle but it, it's it's a skill set that is required for pen testing it's required for other areas of security as well so
2: yeah and also i suppose the critical writing as well maybe something that yeah. uh, probably i'd imagine a lot of people that oh. don't go to university might struggle with a bit more than someone that's had four years of writing reports that have been critiqued, maybe compared to somebody that's, you know, been f- fucking great at testing, mm-hmm. but maybe hasn't done that. I'd imagine that must be a bit of a struggle for some people.
0: I mean, Aiden, yeah. what what's, what's the first rule of QA
1: club? <laughs> first rule of QA club, I guess, is uh, don't talk about QA club. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I totally agree with what with with, with what you say, Dave. Um, the 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 key thing that I have seen from from graduates is an ability to write an ability to to self critique their own writing as well and to mm-hmm. be be kind of tough on themselves when they're trying to produce a report um, and also one of the k- kind of key factors of essay writing report writing is being able to communicate things to people who aren't inside your own head yep. being able to to write it down in a way that is transferable and that's translatable and it makes you know makes sense to people on you know, an executive level makes sense. People on a a managerial level and on a, on a technical level. Um, so, so that it kind of, it transcends different job roles. Um, and that's Mm. certainly something I've seen come from, from people who, who are graduates. Mm. Um, ideally the best combination is someone who, who graduates or, or has some kind of background in formal writing, uh, combined with someone who also has the passion to, to drive their own learning and drive their own continued development in their personal Mm. time um but those are sort of the golden geese of the, of the industry I suppose yeah. uh so that's the thing
2: see when you get to the end of four years of I, again yeah. I just pulling back from my own personal experience I love doing audio like um when I started at college I really had no idea what I wanted to do I think I was like 18 at the time uh like leaving school I had absolutely no idea and then I kind of yeah found a college course and I was going to be recording in this beautiful recording studio in Greenwick uh, of all Mm -hmm. places Um, so yeah so enthusiastic and I'd say I was probably that way through the entire four or five years of higher education but when I left like it took its toll with me learning in my spare time and having the desire to keep on pushing and I eventually got to the point where I, I just ran out of steam ran out of stamina and I'd imagine that must be a, a bit of a challenge for a lot of people walking out of uni in the same position. They've got their degree, but they didn't get that position that they were looking for. And then they're going to have to, you know, relentlessly learn probably even more just to keep up and get in. Like, it's, it's pretty savage like, when you really look at it. Yeah, yeah,
1: it really is. It's a dog-eat-dog world. It, it is it's paradise lost, you know. Mm. Um, you, you are competing, con- continually competing with a growing... Um, market of 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 skills as well there's um people there's more and more people entering into security every year it's becoming more and more of a hot industry um as if it isn't hot enough already Mm. um but then you also have people with sort of hybrid skill sets transitioning from other other backgrounds as well um especially with the, the you know the the huge movement towards um kind of Agile development and uh, cloud. I cloud knew of you were today. going to mention it. I knew it. <laughs> what is agile, agile development? Because I don't actually know. So um, I'm going to butcher this because I'm not an agile developer. But essentially, it's it's um, you've never, it, it never, never mentioned condensed.
0: this before, Aiden. Like <laughs> I suppose
1: it can be condensed down into the idea of of moving in a more iterative and rapid fashion. Um, for those who kind of know some of the more historic methods of software development, there's the waterfall method, which kind of goes through several stages from like analysis and investigation through design and implementation and testing and then kind of release. But there's, there's very little kind of back cycle to to go through that again, if you're running into issues Mm -hmm. uh, and I suppose the idea with kind of the agile approach is integrating more um, kind of iterative steps, more testing um, so that you can identify issues earlier on and then step back and repeat the process instead of continuing forward and doing the full um, process and then coming back. So so it, it speeds up development and it makes things more, more fluid. Um, and you can keep slotting in different bits over and over. So if you need more testing uh, done, you can kind of keep increasing the, the number of times you iterate through testing Um, instead of having to you know we we have to wait till the next cycle before we can start testing again Mm. Um, so it kind of just speeds things up um, and then there's a lot of integration into um, kind of methodologies like uh, development operations devops um, building continuous integration continuous development um, and that's kind of where security is starting to slot in. Mm-hmm. Um there's lots of conversations around things like sec DevOps or DevSecOps, depending on um depending on whether you think security comes before development or not. <laughs> um,
0: uh, so, I suppose you've got like architecture design and things like that that technically come before yeah. development. Like if you're gonna build a solution, you do need to architect it before it's implemented. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So therefore, security does enter that that conversation. But it it, it does bring up an interesting point as well, is that, uh, back to what we're discussing about universities, a lot of people are driven towards pen testing, but Mm -hmm. what you've just said there and um, the kind of agile framework, that that opens up a lot of other avenues as well. Mm -hmm. Because you've got things like development, secure coding, architecture design, all all these areas that are never really sold to people but are actually just, just as important as... I, I i click computer i break thing i mm-hmm. think yeah so i've just, yeah. just totally butchered off your agile ex- explanation but
1: no i mean you're you're spot on and especially especially looking at those first stages um if you can if you can upskill even you know uh, 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 uh there's um uh kind of a, a person I, I i kind of look to a lot for for ideas and guidance and stuff um a guy called jerry Gamblin. um you can search on youtube he's done talks kind of various different conferences, but one of the main things he talked about was like turning his development team into his security team by kind of upscaling them and mm-hmm. teaching sort of, he's teaching them all kind of to be 10% a security tester. And if you've got 20 developers, you've now got 10, you know, you know you, you, you've you now got two additional people in your, in your team. Um, so the idea sort of being that um, you can upskill people who are not security focused to integrate security into their roles. And by doing so, you kind of um, pull everybody up, you know, a rising tide sort of thing. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. So I, yeah. So I think that kind of that in and of itself is a challenge for people who are solely security focused. Um, more and more, we see web applications and infrastructure deployments and and mobile applications and all sorts coming through. That when we test them, they're in surprisingly robust shape, mm. um, which makes it you know makes our job harder as it should do, um, and certainly pushes us as as pen testers as consultants to kind of go the extra mile and and keep kind of driving that bleeding edge and um, pushing the industry forward. But it's also really really tough to 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 keep having to find novel approaches to overcome um, a steadily increasing security posture in everything that we come into contact with now. Yeah. Um, and I think that that kind of harkens back to what Andy was saying about how some of the university courses focus too much on specifically like something like security or even specifically like pen testing or offensive security. Um, because if you're not anticipating that the development team that you're going to come up against when you're testing an application if you're not anticipating that they know at least 10 or 20 or 30 percent of what you know um it can be a big shock to, to yeah. kind of hit yeah. the ground running you 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 know maybe you've you know how to run burp against the app so you run you run burp and you find nothing now you're in trouble because now you've got to to fall back to doing manual testing you've got to fall back to doing more investigative testing and you're not going to get any low hanging fruit so you better yeah. be bringing an a-game
2: yeah that's it exactly and i'd imagine much of that a game you just described there is that that's probably where the experience comes in uh i'd imagine mm-hmm. as well and having obviously everyone should learn how to manually test uh, automated tools on the go so far and mm-hmm. obviously don't catch everything uh but i guess yeah. a lot of the and from my experience of learning at the moment is trying to so when i'm a product approaching like a hack the box just now like, i've got a lot of theory in my head like from the last year of studying like, and I've got a lot of kind of practical skills and obviously SQL is a good example uh, so databases like you know I can throw a SQL map at something but I need to have mm-hmm. the experience to know uh, all the other little bits and bobs, like you know, like the different kind of tricks that can maybe get you somewhere, you uh, through SQL injection, uh, and yeah, I mean that's kind of where I come across, you know, some difficulties, especially in the slightly harder boxes. Um, see, for people leaving university, like, and they're maybe a bit worried about not having that experience. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what, what can they do to help themselves? Would you say um, just keep practicing? I'm assuming is probably the only way.
1: Yeah. Um, it's a really tough question and, and certainly not the first time I've been asked it either. Um, I tried to do a lot of outreach and involvement with, with kind of n- new people into the industry and stuff. And and it is, I think it's a pressing question, you know, where, where's the best place to go to, to get those kind of resources to to learn from. Um, I think hack the box is a really good um, platform to kind of teaching very kind of offensive tactics and kind of understanding the process of, of scanning down a box and identifying potential issues, um, I think there maybe is an over reliance on CTFs mm. in 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 the industry in the UK. Certainly, um, in they're,
0: they're not necessarily representative as well. I mean, the, yeah, the, the the problem Hack the box is good from it's good from the perspective that it gives you an insight into ethical vulnerabilities and and quite esoteric uh, situations. Mm. But in realistic terms, y- you. You kind of you need to adapt to your environment and yeah. understand how to build them just as you're breaking them. O- yeah. On you go. It's just it's just a, just no. A, it's a fair I'd imagine. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. No,
1: I to- I totally agree. Um, they 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 really aren't for the most part representative of uh, more real world environments. And they certainly, like I say, they they focus on honing offensive skills and they they kind of that doesn't expand your ability to be uh a, a more uh rounded uh security uh professional mm-hmm. really regardless of kind of where you plan on going whether you end up you know going to sort of towards a dedicated red team or something like purple teaming there you go andy um or <laughs> you heard about uh, our lord and savior
0: purple team
1: <laughs> Um, yeah, whether you end up in pen testing or you you end up uh, in kind of compliance, GRC things like that, whether you end up in blue team, you know, uh, having having a broader understanding of first of all how to integrate with a team, how you're going to work with other people, that's something that's not always focused on. It's it's something that's kind of absent. There's certainly things like the forums and and the, the community chats around CTFs, mm. but they're kind of focused around beating the task not necessarily about you know what would be the after action to this how you know what's what's the useful things to take away from this after the fact um, which are the things you need when you're going to then be dealing
0: with a client or dealing mm. with an employer where, where um, does the remedial action lie how certainly. how do you convey this to your your respective audience which yeah. is yeah. something yeah, you, that's often you, missing
2: I mean you'll read yeah. through uh, Rana Kalila when want it say does it absolutely fantastic like hack the box write ups I've just read through like every single one of the osc pre uh, oscp prep ones i'd highly suggest everybody to do the same because i've learned a shit ton from doing that um but i mean obviously that's designed for the offensive security exam so it is all about the offensive but obviously see when you get beyond that and like you're saying you're in the workplace and you're having to explain what caused these issues to begin with mm-hmm. to a client, right, and how you get that across to all different members of management like right, and or everybody reading your report how do you fix issues and things I guess you might have broken like whilst testing right? Like, as <laughs> yeah. well, well there's, I, th- Yeah.
0: there's a fundamental thing I mean I've only started to I probably should have realised this earlier on in my career and it's something that isn't conveyed to people the one piece of language that everyone across the business no matter who you speak to will understand is risk Mm -hmm. and if you get to a point where you can convey risk at multiple levels Mm -hmm. while it is fucking boring or it can be fucking boring (laughs) if you if you don't contextualize it appropriately um it is a common language that people understand if you mention risk to a board you can contextualize an sql injection in terms of well that's financial at risk or that's capital at risk or that's potentially availability and and then you have things like confidentiality and integrity availability all, all that fun stuff but if you get into a position where you can understand risk and I mean risk isn't just applicable to security or IT, it's applicable to real life it's kind of threat modelling, all that fun stuff and if you can apply a mindset to that you can speak at multiple levels and you don't need to be the most technical person on the planet i know some really really talented risk consultants who are security. they understand security but they're not deep diving into the reverse engineering they're not writing scripts and things but they do understand how to speak risk and if there's one piece of advice that i can give to anyone who's lo- looking to get into the industry now is first of all go and buy my book it's fucking great we plug there but second of all understand try and understand risk try and work out how to convey it and how to explain it in multiple different levels and you you won't get it straight away you might even find it really fucking boring which i did when i first started but the more you're in this game the more you learn that when you write a report your recommendation that you might you might have like 10 findings and the root cause is like well you've got shit passwords but the risk there is well confidentiality of data that those passers protect or the availability of systems if those accounts are compromised Mm -hmm. so there's there's lots of different angles and then it feeds into other areas as well so it's not just defensive it's looking at from the other side so um like dev ops security operations like blue team red team purple team orange team all the fucking colored teams (laughs) the rainbow the Rainbow <laughs> Team.
2: Aiden. Yeah, um, I, th- I think. I was just going to say, like, so we're just Andy's talking about risk uh, sure. and obviously explaining that. Um, have you got any kind of novel uh, kind of moments from your career of the way you've explained risk to a client, like other than nov- uh-huh. you give them a report? But have you got any times where you've either wowed someone or done something particularly interesting to prove a point? Is that something that even happens? <laughs>
1: Um, I think it does. I think I think we're probably I think uh, certainly mm, I I'm, I tend to be reticent to talk about times where I've gone off book and been like right I'm going to do something here to demonstrate just how bad of a situation that this really is. Mm-hmm. Um but it does it does happen and sometimes you have you, maybe you you have one of two kind of situations often like where you either have a very stubborn client who refuses to listen or you know you can always interpret that as you haven't explained it correctly Mm -hmm. um or or a client who who's struggling just naturally struggling to understand what it is that you're that you're trying to to convey to them um so um yeah i I, I think a fairly uh fairly uh, simple kind of example was a web application test where they had um an issue of iframe injection Uh, and they kind of said okay that's cool there's an iframe like that's you know it's on a publicly accessible um, path on on the web application Uh, you could inject um, any arbitrary url into the parameter that it accepted Mm -hmm. and that would then be put into the iframe but you could break out of the iframe and and modify it by introducing html tags into the parameter as well Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, how do we, how can I really show this to them as something that is, is a real risk? Um, And it's, it's a fairly simple kind of concept. Like I grabbed their login page, um, pulled the source code from it, made so it looked intact um, and hosted it on uh, a um, a public facing web page um, and did the iframe injection um to to the to the publicly facing web page so when you went to the url that included this iframe injection you would essentially get shown uh the login page that's sitting on my machine on my my server so i can then capture it replay the login so that they get redirected and logged into the right place Mm. but i'm capturing the credentials on the other side Um, it's nothing particularly you know mind-blowing but that was enough for them to to kind of really take notice and say oh, okay, like that's that's a little bit more than you could just put funny pages on our website. Yeah, like they've contextualized tr-
2: tr- yeah, it. Ex- exactly, because
1: yeah. it's a trusted URL. And for the most part, it, it's, it's going to get past their, their email filters because it's their own website. Um, and for, the, for most people, they're going to look at it, see that it's their own trusted website, you know, customer.com or whatever. The bits after, the, the paths after a great deal of users really won't pay attention to that and certainly enough won't pay attention to it that it's a it's a serious enough yeah, issue
2: for sure yeah and just showing them that i guess like as much more visceral like you know like this yeah. is what someone probably will do like if you don't yeah. it. <laughs> yeah absolutely
1: and and i think kind of hearkening back to, to 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 what andy was saying again um about conveying that risk to the customer I could quite easily have written up that finding and said iframe injection. This is your CVSS score. Here's me injecting, you know, example.com into your website. bish, bash, bosh, Done. Like, and that would be a, ultimately a serviceable finding, but it's not a great deal of use. It doesn't have a great deal of utility to the customer. Um, but if if I can show them, I can spoof their own login page and make like uh, on my own site and make their website show it. It, it's only an extra bit like a small bit of effort for me to to kind of exert but it, it makes such a huge splash
2: massive um, impact yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, certainly.
0: It, it contextualizes the risk to them as well because it means that like if you didn't inject it at example.com often you'll find that developers go well what the fuck does that mean realistically <laughs> like how, how is that a problem to me but the fact that you've taken essentially well social engineering it's phishing really mm. uh, embedded a, a credential harvester and then you can use that in all manner of ways and then they can understand that better and they get more of a, a realistic understanding of why something that would be uh well typically a lower medium finding you can actually well they, they they can put the risk either higher it depends on what they factor in the business but it could be a higher risk to them than you would initially highlight it as
1: yeah and i think the other combination to that was that, that i think in order for it to have worked actually there were, there were kind of multiple other sort of parts working at the same time, they didn't have CSERF protection, you know, they didn't, they didn't have any, um, uh, they, they weren't checking uh, referers for for login um, requests and things like that. So that allowed me to kind of get around a lot of those controls, those issues on their own, you know, not checking referrer and not having CSERF can be really very, fairly minimal risk issues when they're on their own. But once you start combining and chaining those issues together and showing how those low risk issues... If they stick together, if they start to chain together and they allow me to to escalate the severity of this, suddenly this is a really, really serious issue. Um, and it's something we talk about a lot internally um, and are around not treating low risk or even information, kind of informational issues, not treating them as sort of throwaway, spending a little bit of time, taking, taking the time to kind of investigate because it's those low-level issues that you just pick at them, you know, like at a scab, you just keep picking at it and eventually you might find something a lot more serious than than you thought was there.
2: Well, you look well, at a puzzle to begin with, like, you know, yeah. uh, like uh, just a jigsaw puzzle, like, and it looks like a massive mix-mash, mix but I suppose when you start kind of putting all those pieces together and you start seeing a bigger picture and you've suddenly got tiny issues exponentially becoming, you know, mm-hmm. big ones, and as an individual vulnerability that might not say, I guess, the full picture about, you know, what that could be used for combined with other ones present, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the problem is as well with, um, I mean, the the, the thing that Aidan is referring to, one of our um, mutual colleagues, uh, (laughs) is, is quite... He's, a, he's quite a fan of looking through in informational risks in Nessus. So Nessus being a vulnerability scanner. Mm-hmm. And those informational risks quite often can become critical risks quite quickly. Mm-hmm. There's one, for example, that affects, I think it's uh, Cisco Management yeah. Engine or Cisco yeah, Management something. Yeah, it's the the smart install. That's the um, one.
1: Yeah, so essentially there's the um several cisco devices uh come with a, essentially a plug and play functionality where they expose uh, a port that you can connect to and and um it has a tftp server um and so you can you can pull down uh um uh, pull down the config of the device you can also modify and re-upload the config to the device Oh sure. um yeah. yeah and there's there's a little python script that'll do it that's been out on the web for for, for ages and it's actually a feature not a bug kind of thing Cisco mm. are kind of their attitude is like yeah it's so that we can put it in and customers don't call us up asking how to set up their box like
2: Jeez. they can just plug it in and, and that's the management information system. like on Nessus yeah,
0: yeah. Nessus <laughs> flags a lot of things as well I mean they, they, we, we could have an whole episode talking about <laughs> Nessus because there are so stop. many things <laughs> I mean, there's so many things in Nessus that get flagged there's, like for example uh, unauthenticated access to Jenkins now on its mm-hmm. own Jenkins is a it's a continuous integration continuous development platform it's, it's, I suppose it fits into the agile conversation we are having earlier on but unauthenticated access to that well what what is that really it's access to a source code control so you can view potentially sensitive information there to start with but also as a kind of as a feature of Jenkins you can run um like arbitrary code so you could get yeah. remote code execution via um this platform and it's report- usually reported as informational because it's like well you can access this and Nessus doesn't do anything it's, n- it's not smart it's based no. on heuristics and signatures and yeah. all that fun stuff there isn't really any it's like it's Versions. like an av yeah there, there isn't really any context around it the, the higher risks are based on more or less patch management and all, things like that but there are known exploits but I suppose that's what that's that's what goes back to our t- chat about earlier on about manual testing. It's what it's what differentiates a Nessus monkey and a Nessus gorilla. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna, he's going
1: to appreciate you using that term. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna um, have to listen to it now. I'm gonna have to like force yeah. it in his throat. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I think using Jenkins actually is as, as an example and kind of tying back into the you know how how to demonstrate potential risks as well. Um, uh, back when I worked with 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 Steve, we 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 did a test and um, again trying to be very careful not to to mention customer names. Um, <laughs> essentially we were we we had managed to capture um some some domain credentials for for uh, one of the administrators one of the members of the it staff um on on the network um but that's fairly loud to start using credentials across the network so what we wanted to do is kind of find somewhere else to run them from so in scanning down the network we eventually found that um, there were multiple engineers who were running various sort of um scipy and uh others sort on of numpy and python kind of payloads and stuff and they were doing so in jenkins running on their personal laptops with the web interfaces open um and we were able to kind of get on there and they were unauthenticated so essentially we could execute workloads oh on dear. these machines um and we could just run PowerShell straight on 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 these machines um or or command line kind of instructions whatever and we were like, okay, cool. That's a way we could, we could run that. Um, but you'd have to be inside the network. You'd also have to capture some credentials. So how do we turn this into something that's more serious? And then we started to look at the fact that um, they had very little segregation between sort of guest networks and corporate networks and mobile networks and uh, and stuff. Mm. And um, we then found that they had a, uh, like a Wi-Fi, like a personal Wi-Fi kind of hiding in the corner of the it room that they were using to go on like social media and and reddit and things like that and they were hot swapping their mobiles back and forth between the corporate (laughs) network and wi-fi so we were like okay they ended up being windows phones and we couldn't actually we 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 struggled to find an exploitation kind of route or avenue for them but when we started to build up the uh the the attack chain or the potential attack chain um they, they were quite a um an important business and they dealt with a lot of kind of major customers so so there's reasonable chance that ocgs or state actors might might be interested in them so we said you know there's there's a low kind of hill about a mile and a half outside of your campus we could sit on there with a great big parabolic dish connect to your <laughs> you know connect to your um wi-fi uh, we we then found out that the, the password for the for the, the little mi-fi box was like mi-fi dash some like four digit code no dear um so we're like, okay, so we can get that, we can compromise on or, or take, get onto the the fi potentially compromise one of these phones. Now we're in your corporate environment. So so there's a there's an entire attack chain or potential attack chain that originates a mile and a half away from your business because of this random MiFi box you've got stuck in the back of your in the back of your office um, that completely violates basic policy, security practices yeah. yeah yeah basic security practices and it's that hygiene kind of element it's like um you can't take you can't sleep on security you can't go well we'll do security all the time all the time all the time and then sometimes we won't do it and yeah. sometimes we'll just take a break
0: you can't some... you can't sleep i mean we were chatting about this before <laughs> we started recording what is this sleep thing you speak of like aiden it, it and i have just come off a our can't really dive too deep into it because it's still ongoing Mm. but quite an interesting engagement and whereby i was working double shifts and sometimes triple shifts and aiden would be like well the guys would start chatting about me but i'd still be awake because Mm -hmm. i don't sleep so yeah that was fun i've
1: never told someone to go to sleep so many times (laughs) samuel Um, jackson
0: go the fuck to sleep yeah
1: (laughs) yeah so yeah, I think I think kind of contextualizing that risk by I think it's a really tough thing to do and the only way to do it is to kind of um begin to develop real world scenarios or somehow put it into a quantifiable um value. So so there was a talk at 44 con a couple of years ago by um a guy called uh I'm going to butcher his name, um Charles Vandervolt. Um about, uh, Charlie. Yeah, so about about um Uh, security and security risk um, talking about it as a debt in order to then make it synonymous with the concept of technical debt so doing something in a bish bash bash shortcut way when you're writing software is going to come back to bite you later on if you do something in a very inefficient or very very poor um, practice that you maybe are going to lose efficiency or lose um performance down the line um and that's a debt that you're incurring that has to be paid for later on either by the lack of performance or you have to go back and fix it and potentially impact you know the the ongoing development Mm. um and he suggests doing the same thing with security every time you make a decision that forgoes security in favor of you know feature release or delivery that's a debt that you're incurring and a lot of businesses now put technical debt on the balance sheet and he proposes doing the same thing with with security debt put it on the balance sheet so that the security team don't have to make the arguments anymore finance is coming down the accountants are coming down and going why is there so much debt on the book and yeah. and then it makes it it forces the rest of the business to buy in it forces the rest of the business because as long as that debt's there that's risk that's that's a, that's a weight the business has to carry until it's paid off um and that's 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 a much better way to kind of incentivize uh getting budgets and getting getting buy-in from from management and from executives
2: i think it's learning yeah, speak it, their it, language doesn't it, it, it like yeah, yeah. yeah. it it's it definitely
0: right ch- well, it, it changes <laughs> the optics on security as well it it makes it from rather rather than it being uh, a cost to the business i mean it typically is a cost to the business but mm-hmm. making it a, a debt in the same way you make technical debt it it changes it from being a straight up this is going to cost us money to actually this is a business enabler and as a result of that being a debt on the balance sheet you've got buy-in from higher up and that's when it starts to become useful and the discussion of security on its own is something that i mean we, we could speak for hours about it and realistically as soon as you mention security to people um they they turn off they, they're just mm-hmm. not interested because no. security is it's a dirty word it is i mean it's not something like fuck or whatever else but it, it, if you mention it outside of no i mean seriously if you if you mention security in a business to people who don't work in security ah, instantly ah, see it.
2: fuck oh, it's the security guy again like, exactly exactly <laughs> well, they, you're,
1: they, you're a you're, you're a a um, you're a hindrance you're a to their exactly. You're a hurdle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're, you're asking them to redirect uh, money, time, man hours from from releasing features which have a tangible, profitable outcome potentially at the end. Versus me saying, "I'd like you to not make money, please, and do this thing. Otherwise, we're going to lose all the passwords, or we're going to get breached, or you yeah. know, any any kind of thing like that." And, and it doesn't matter how how hard you appeal to reason how hard you appeal to emotion how even how hard you appeal to authority it it makes no difference um because on the balance sheet you are a loss you are a loss center you cost money mm. um, i mean you
0: you're, you're objective as well i mean the thing that it, it, it does i mean a lot of this these discussions eat back into previous conversations that we've just had um mm-hmm. students when you're joining an industry, when you're joining a, a company, the thing that you need to bear in mind is your your role isn't to make a business more secure. It's not at all. Your role is to help the company make more money. Yeah. Like People don't care about security, realistically. They care about how they can make money more efficiently. That's applicable across all industries. It's applicable across security companies, consultancy, banking, finance. Yeah. Oil and gas, everything—it's all about money. The 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 world is driven by money. It's a capitalist society, and I'm not going to yeah. d- dive into the politics behind it. But the security by by doing security efficiently, you allow the company to make more money efficiently, and therefore, you make money. You make bank. You can go and live your life and doing things. And yeah. yeah, it's it's important, but so, it's a, it's yeah. also an important mindset that people need to understand that you're never. As hard as you try, you're never going to make a company more secure if you don't have the fundamental understanding that your role isn't to do that. Your role is to help them make more money more efficiently. And mm-hmm. the moment you understand that, the moment
2: you become better at what you do. Speak their language.
1: Exactly. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mentioned it before. Jerry, Jerry Gamblin talked about it uh, and said essentially the same thing. He said, you know, you're, you're, you don't work for a security company. You, you work in marketing, you, you, you work in marketing security as a, as a good thing for the business, as something that makes the business more successful. And if you are a roadblock, they'll go around you. If, if you, you know, if you implement more roadblocks, they'll continue to go around you. And, and I think any business, you can see that, especially when we do tests, if we have a pre kind of test conversation with, with developers or uh, engineers and we go, okay, where, where are the bodies hidden? They'll tell you, They'll tell you where all the bodies are hidden uh, because they they put them there. They intentionally did things they knew yeah. were, were in violation of security policies, Crazy and they will debt. tell you, yeah, they, they, with no hesitation. They'll hand over the goods. Um, so so it, the the evidence is there. If you if you if you make it difficult for them, they won't they won't do it. So you you need to market security. To your teams, to your superiors, to your management, you're essentially your job is is to pitch security as a it's a little bit of money now to save a lot of money in the future.
0: Oh, de- definitely. I mean, the the um, talking about hiding bodies and things not actually not actually going to go and kill people. Where's this good One of one of the discussion points around uh, you have with clients often, or I find I have with clients more and more is you've got so you, i mean security is never ever a solution it's always a problem always like you you can have usability or you can have security you can't have both and it's a problem that we have time and time again and it's what I've seen a lot with companies whereby they've got best practices on code builds they've got good password policies, they've got good patching they do vulnerability scanning but then they've got some fucking idiot in IT who installs TeamViewer and domain controller and then you've just lost all of your credibility <laughs> straight away because you've got all these secure practices but it just takes one fucktard to fuck it up and that's... <laughs>
2: Technical technical language. Say, is that a technical term? I think so, yeah. Does this go on like your summary on any of your reports? Or a vulnerability or a Well yeah, the, the
1: the biggest This <laughs> is this is the first rule of QA. <laughs> <No far laughs> this time. is the first rule of QE Have a look for where they've gone. I'm fucking sick of how stupid this person has been time and time again. Like <laughs> I keep testing this thing and they keep messing up. And in QE yeah, you've got to go through and make sure they haven't left that in. Well,
0: well one of my colleagues uh, actually, you, you'll, I have been on the phone to him every every night the past couple of weeks. He was, he was saying, I, I can't wait to Q, like read one of your reports and just read the, the first line of each um, sentence because it's gonna spell out cunt. I was like, what, <laughs> what, what makes you think I haven't already done that? And he was like, oh fuck. <laughs>
1: amazing yeah i so i think i think the kind of the key takeaway really is that that we have to see security as a collaborative process and that's why i think um being really proactive about trying to integrate into these modern styles of development and these modern you know practice and processes on on the, the project that i'm working on just now that that wraps up tomorrow i've been on Uh, morning breakout calls with with the development team every day throughout the test and it's been incredibly valuable and there's very little resistance from them once i you know spend 10 minutes kind of explaining what i've found identifying the issue identifying the potential risks and and also trying to come up with solutions as well like that's that's another part to it when you're testing these technologies you have a sense or you have a certain responsibility to learn them to at least the level where you can make kind of useful recommendations about how they might go about doing things in a different way that's more secure Mm. because otherwise they're going to have to figure it out and given that they didn't do it the first time it's very unlikely they're going to do it this time if you just go it's broken fix it you Uh, you need to
0: put you need to put yourself in an educated position i mean it's it's something that you see time and time again where you every 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 what I'm trying to say here, every different job that you do, uh, like in a pen test you, you're learning different technologies and if you can educate yourself to the same baseline that the developer is operating on but you can look at it from a different angle because that's that's why we were brought in, we are third party validation, I mean not, not just in and I, I mean security consultants in general are third party validation you might have a shit hot developer in house but it only takes a second set of eyes to go well actually you could have used this function here instead of this or you could have used um, secure dev random instead of just like pseudo-deaf random and just having that like that logical kind of adaptable mindset it's it's well that's why we're brought in to do what we do so that's why we're not not Nessus monkeys
2: the big thing well i am a bit of a Nessus monkey for the most part as i (laughs) I do do cyber schedules but i was just gonna say i've had um just today finished up a job uh obviously i'm not gonna be saying who is but um I, i over the last year I think when you start out, it's quite easy when you're talking to clients to kind of get a bit of the fear because you're worried about not knowing as much as them about their network, you know, and being able to have the language to be able to have those important conversations with them and getting across important points. Certainly, a a year in, uh, at least into this specific role for me, um, I've found communications obviously always key for everything, but see really getting on board with someone on the other side of the phone, like your client, um you for one, getting comfortable talking to each other just over the phone, you know, as a kind of general chit chat. Like right? and if you are talking yep. to them every couple of days and you're building that rapport with them, um, you know, and like you say, when you're asking when the but, but the bodies are buried, like they're gonna be seemingly far more likely to kind of have a, you know, a really good chat with you about it if they kind of know who you are what you're about, why you're approaching it, how you're approaching it and getting across that you're there to kind of help them. Um, I had a great experience just dealing with just one guy at a company and yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, because at the end of it, um, you know, when you're kind of tying everything up and you realise kind of how much you've went over and you've given across some valuable information to them. Um, And yeah, for us, since we do annual renewals, it's kind of that way, like, cool, look forward to talking to you next year and we'll see where we're at and we can progress what we've done now, see where you're at then and push forward. Uh, Great job satisfaction. I had a great day today for that.
1: Hmm. There is, I I completely kind of, I I totally chime with that, like... um... Having that really good relationship with with a client um, and obviously we might only deal with them for sort of two or three days at a time, depending on you know the complexity of the project. Mm-hmm. It could be several weeks or it could just be a couple of days and um, and I think one of the hardest parts in this job is is um, having the ability to to ramp that relationship up to kind of an, an amiable level in a very short period of time kind of helping them to trust you helping them to to understand that you you certainly know what you're talking about within your specific domain Mm -hmm. and that you're not coming in to point out their flaws you're not coming in to point the finger and laugh that they haven't done their their job right that you're there as a friend you're there as a colleague um even if it's a temporary one you're 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 essentially you're in the trenches with them and you're you're there to help not to not to throw you know a spanner in their works um
0: not not, not an intentional spanner
1: it's... no no certainly right i had a bit of a um the the friend we were talking about before um with respect to getting infos to to critical um uh, he, i had a bit come to jesus sort of
0: conversation with him maybe <laughs> maybe nine months ago or so he, he does look like jesus so i can see where you're coming from
1: <laughs> right now he does certainly does he's yeah. he's his, his beard is magnificent um yeah, uh, we're we're essentially. I I it's something I I knew inherently, but I always kind of. You, you can go through those tough periods where you get a lot of kind of very difficult jobs and and maybe less cooperative clients, and you can get a bit of a funk about it. But he he kind of reminded me. He's like every every. Every time you put something in a report, there's a less than zero chance and probably a greater than 50% chance that every single thing that you put as a finding is going to generate work for a real human being yep. on the other side. You're What you're doing is turned into somebody else's work and they have to do that. And every time you would add another finding, you're creating more work for another person. And once you kind of become a little more conscious of that, you're not just putting words on a page, you're you're giving somebody else responsibility you're making somebody else have to to stop what they're doing and do the thing to solve what you've you've identified um and i think that really helps to develop a a greater deal of empathy Mm -hmm. um and really appreciating that it's a hard job we we, you'll often hear sort of throwaway kind of cliches or you know securities you know everybody just ignores it it's really easy these are really simple things that anybody could do but When you've got tight budgets and tight times, timeframes and stuff, um, it's not quite so easy. Uh, And I think that's something you have to keep relearning and keep reminding yourself of uh, because it's very easy to get into that, fall back into that kind of mindset where it's like, these are so simple. These things are so simple. I told you about them last year or I told you about them
0: two years in a row and you haven't fixed them. When you, when you see it, I mean, as well, when you see it from the other side, I mean, so if mm-hmm. you ever do mm-hmm. things like instant response or even just internal security work, you see that, well, you may have had a company that's been pen tested day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, and they have the same findings, but they have unfortunately the same fundamental flaws and it's exactly what you're saying there it's it's a lack of budget or it's a lack of prioritization i had a really yeah. serious conversation with a CISO once and he said i've got x amount of budget for the year and you've you've brought me three problems but i only have enough budget to allocate to fix one of those problems and the problems were poor poor password policy poor patch management and increasing the security team and he was like if you were me what would you, where would you spend the money how, how would you increase that and that is an ultimatum because mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. are three things that need to be fixed and i mean you could do it over a three-year period but they to to an extent they are three immediate risks to the business yes yeah, so mm-hmm. i suppose you could you could substitute the fact that um, adding more staff uh, you can do that over a longer period of time but to correct the other two issues you would need to hire more staff to do them so it's it's a That's chicken treasure. and egg thing yeah and it's yeah. a very difficult thing to do and it's certainly something that i find pen testers and consultants in general sometimes don't think about they they just a lot of um, i mean not not just colleagues but people that i have spoken to the industry and previously they, they will do reports and they, they kind of it's almost like a competition to see how many findings you can get in a report and I'm like yeah just have st- take a step back and look at that, right? And if you're getting that report, you've got four or five issues in here. What's the root cause? Right, the root cause is poor patching. Why have you got four or five issues in here? Why don't you just yeah. make it one issue? And the root cause is you, you have a less than ideal pass, pa- patch policy. Therefore, you need to apply these specific fixes. But it's not a case of applying just the, the, the knowledge base of the, the mix of KBs. It's a case of a fundamental issue with wh- how, how your patching policy yeah. operates. Is your patching yeah if you yeah. if you if you go if you spend your life um i mean i was having this conversation earlier on um with a couple of guys not even related to security but related to budgeting if you go around applying plasters to things you're only fixing small problems you're not actually fixing the fundamental um kind of core issue now the topic we were discussing which um you, both of you will know about the rest of me thankful is a road that goes from araka mm-hmm. to Danun and year on year for those of you who are not aware it's a, it's a road that runs through a valley and year on year we get heavy there, there's heavy rainfall in that area and there are landslides and the road gets wrecked and it closes for multiple weeks and uh, one of the guys I was chatting to was like well the reason that that happens is because they only have the budget year on year to fix the, the, the small things they don't have the budget to invest in putting like uh well, it like preventing sta- the
1: slides basically preventing
0: right? the slides stabilising the soil planting trees putting in like foundations they don't have mm-hmm. that money because it's going to cost them billions of pounds to do whereas they can probably aff- afford to spend like maybe a hundred or £200,000 a year to, to apply these quick fixes and it will cost them a longer like a, a, a more upfront cost to save more money in, in the future yeah. and if people start to take that understanding and apply it to the way in which they recommend things to clients clients can then start to prioritise how they allocate budget and then how they fix things and once you understand that, you're you're, you're going to be a great consultant. That's yeah. that's my that's my life advice for a,
2: a Thursday. No, it's great advice. Like, I'm yeah, sitting on board is myself. Yeah, uh, just a wee bit going back, or uh, just mm-hmm. as you say, we were just talking about. Um, you were having a conversation not to do with security, but it was kind of linked, um, kind of similar. There's so many skills that we've talked about tonight, like the kind of empathy thing you're talking about, Aiden, like um, you mm-hmm. know, uh, kind of getting on board with people. These are all skills that you don't. Uh, need to be in security to learn like you probably didn't 100%. learn them in security so if you're at university and you're studying away and you've got a kind of part-time job you know you, you do have a platform to test a lot of these you know kind of skills yeah. and get better them. so when you do leave and you hit the ground running you're more personable you know you've got a whole side to you that someone can't rush to learn you know it's a learned behavior yeah. and it takes time so you know if you're working yeah. on your skills constantly like, and always keep that in mind
1: yeah, I think there's, I think there's certainly, um, there's always been a bit of a kind of a, uh a shared sentiment throughout throughout the industry um that i've heard kind of repeated a lot about kind of like you can you can teach someone to to test but you know you can't teach them to be you know sociable you can't teach them to be a real human being who can communicate with other people and i think to some extent that's definitely true you can you can teach someone how to behave in a client environment you know how to how to compose themselves how to ask the right questions and stuff but Certainly the 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 much softer skills, like you say, about things like empathy um, and and patience mm. and um, that ability to understand you might be right in this situation, but that might not be the best
0: route. Sw- swallow your pride. Is, yeah, it's uh, really ex- important. Exactly.
1: Yeah, humbleness for sure. Um, and yeah, I think uh, for, for people who maybe worry about coming from a background that isn't security... Um, I I think the reality is in terms of professional career, I didn't have a background in professional security before, before I got my, my first job and it really bore very little, um, kind of impact it had very little kind of uh, impact in in me getting my job uh, it was more about who i was kind of demonstrating that i was committed and i was going to be dedicated and, and really try and go above and beyond and that i was very keen to learn and to listen um and i think additionally i i spent time working in technical support uh for um the uk uh disability students allowance. I think it's gone now, but essentially having to deal with students who had various kinds of learning difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of forces you to go through that process of really learning how to listen and be patient and, and understand that someone else's interpretation and perspective is very, very different from your own. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. but even, even if you don't have that kind of opportunity, um, Yeah, general kind of retail work, although in a lot of cases it can be really exhausting and very tiring dealing with the general public, those skills you learn there, um, especially things around patience and listening and, and, and trying to understand what perhaps a very upset customer is trying to tell you and trying to convey. Um, those are those are vital vital skills that yeah you you can't just we we can't run you through a a week-long course of how to do that like that has to be learned over time and and that's that's,
0: it's a sense of leadership as well I mean it's Mm -hmm. one that we keep I keep talking about this engagement that I come off of but I learned a lot from doing it so I mean those of you who know me I, I in my free time pre COVID would do a lot of karate and um it's kind of one of my main interests is kicking people in the head. But before <laughs> before doing that, um I, Even I before spent before the karate. Before <laughs> the karate, I just enjoyed kicking people in the <laughs> head because in Glasgow. Call that Tuesday in Glasgow. <laughs> but no the the skill set I learned from karate was I, I spent the best part of four years teaching kids karate now that might sound a bit mental because who wants to teach who, who wants to be in charge of 20 kids who are mm. dangerous as fuck they are little <laughs> Glaswegian kids who are dangerous <laughs> as fuck
1: yeah you taught them to kick as well yeah.
0: I taught them how to kick and punch and they taught them their left and right and all that fun stuff like from the age of 5 through to 16 lo- loads of fucking like mental people but what I learned mm. from doing that is the, the degree of patience required to tell someone that that is not your left hand that's your right hand other mm-hmm. right and keep going through that, and it, it, it grades you down. Now, how is this applicable to what I'm talking about? This this taught me the skill set of leading and being patient and understanding people's needs. And through this engagement that I've just come off of, I was in charge of, what, two, t- two shifts, essentially, of people uh, doing different tasks and, and effective delegation, but listening to people's problems and facilitating them. And one of the skills that is required, it's not required for security, but it certainly helps, is the ability to lead but the ability to effectively prioritize how you lead things, like it's gonna sound really cliche, but leaders aren't made, like you, you can you can go and do a management course and you can learn to be a manager, but you can't, managers aren't leaders, they're, they're not. People who are naturally drawn to help people get further forward, those are people who go on to become great mentors, great leaders, great managers, those are people that make you, like, not make you, but they, they encourage you to enjoy your job and encourage you to enjoy your experience. And I would say that certainly the feedback I've had off that engagement is that the kind of professionalism and also just bringing people together has been really great. Folk yeah. have said, Andy, you did a good job of managing this situation. And, I, and like nobody asked me to step up and lead. I just kind of st- stood up and went, guys, we need to kind of come together and sort this shit out. And, and we did. Like Essentially, we that's how the tea conspiracy was born and that's the discussion <laughs> we're <we'll> having. <happen. laughs> couple of minutes time but.
2: so uh, yeah uh, and like you say like yeah if, i guess talking about leadership like even when you're talking to a customer about issues you found you are you are leading them you know to a better understanding of the rest of their business mm-hmm. like you know and you're having and on top of that you're also having to lead your team to get those conclusions yeah. like so yeah leadership really comes into it and i guess a, a big part of that is yeah, empathy. Like you know, understanding who you're talking to, like understanding how they understand things. Like and that is being a leader. So yeah, that's em- empathy to
0: empathy, yeah. listening, understanding where a conversation is going as well and being able to guide it in a direction that you want it to go in. Now often yeah. I mean I love working with my colleagues. i have got some really, really talented people, but often we do all go off on tangents. And I'm like, <laughs> guys, we've got like we've got a task at hand here, and I understand it's great chatting about teapots, and that's fucking excellent. But realistically, you've <laughs> got to get the job done, and like not being a cunt about it, but being like, actually, come on, we need to kind of get back onto on track, and we can chat about teapots later when we get the firewall rules or when we can get whatever, and that's important. But yeah, it's it's just don't, basically, the number one rule in security is don't be a cunt.
2: Yep. It's true. It's it life in general, to be <laughs> <laughs> Is this his tagline? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you
1: Yeah, I mean, we count him. Like, if any time he talks on, like, a company call or anything, we keep a count of, of the
2: number of times he swears. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've seen this happen at uh, a yeah. conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> happens at um, conferences,
0: happens at talks, happens at yeah. <laughs> company calls. Like... I mean, cl- even client calls. I was on a call a the other a day uh, with a client, and uh, my colleague was like, "Yeah, so usually when Andy's on internal calls, we just count how many times he swears, and that's kind of what it is." But he's doing surprisingly well on this, and the client was like, "Well, we've all fucked up anyway, so it's fine." I was like, <laughs> 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 so
1: "You've opened, it, he's opened the door, man.
0: You've, yeah, you've, you've set in. the president here, not me." <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, just to swing things back to kind of when you started the. Uh, often because hmm. I'm quite interested here it sounds like you did kind of go from yeah, just doing a little bit of kind of dabbling here and there kind of freelance uh, with a kind of yep. specific skill set to like you say needing to learn the full picture of what security mm-hmm. is uh just through working with you were saying Steve Lord, um, what was what was your biggest challenge? Like just at the beginning there for people that right now have maybe like you moved from freelancing like into their first mm-hmm. la- landed themselves a job or leaving university. Um, what what was your biggest struggle and like how did you get over that? If you happen to remember,
1: that's a good question. Um... I think to be honest, I don't think I could condense it into like kind of nah, one one, know, talk- kind of one problem really. Like, I think, yeah, I think there was there's a like I say there's 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 a lot of challenges I think to being a consultant. Um, it's not to you know not to make out like oh it's a, woe is me it's, it's so tough like but certainly <laughs> like learning learning how to communicate more effectively it, it was was a real real tough thing. I think like the first report that I wrote. Um, I kind of got lots and lots of praise about my technical content, but then anything kind of management or executive focus, my, my, my summaries and stuff, yeah. it was like, yeah, you, you wrote this for the, the, the dude that built it, not for the guy who pays the bills. So you need to go back and rewrite this and it has to get higher level and you have to learn to communicate more effectively to somebody who doesn't have your technical acumen and who has an acumen in a different space that you don't have. Mm. Um and, and try to understand what they understand so that you can you can you can talk to them in a more effective way. Um yeah and that's that's a really, really difficult problem because there's there's like I say you you can go through things like retail and stuff and learning to communicate to people and understanding them, but but trying to communicate something you know very intimately, like a very technical problem, and turning that into something not simpler, but in different words, Mm. Um, that's a really, really tough challenge. Uh, And frankly, it took practice it took like writing a report about seven or eight times going back and that was just like final revisions like sending them back like not the millions and millions of mini revisions in between yeah. like writing it and going no no no, that sounds silly <laughs> writing it again and going i've used that word like eight times no 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 no, i'll write it again i'll write it again so um, hard
2: but it really is hard. oh it's
1: so difficult it, it it really is um and and also in the same respect like you might convey something that the, the the other person entirely understands, but it might be entirely the wrong thing too. Like you, you, you're trying to convey, you know, some kind of risk or you're trying to convey some kind of issue and you might convey something entirely different that they do understand and you completely miss the mark and you're like ships in the night kind of thing. Um... So knowing as well that you're essentially going to write this and you might never talk to the person that's going to read it. So you might never have time to clarify or explain what's going on. A lot of clients won't come back. They'll kind of maybe be a bit intimidated by, by the content of the report and stuff and maybe think, Oh, I don't want to ask those questions. I don't want to seem stupid or I don't want to seem uninformed or, or, or not knowledgeable. Mm. So yeah, that's a really, really tough kind of uh, bridge to, to, to cross. Um, but uh, it, it's one that really just comes through practice. Yeah. Um and I find that a lot of customers are much more willing to communicate than than testers sometimes think. And if you just broach that subject and say, Hey, can we, you know, have a chat? Can we can we talk about some of this stuff during during the engagement as the engagement goes on? And like you're saying, you know, try and build that rapport and get that understanding, it makes the end kind of job of writing the report and writing those summaries so much more um so much easier but also much more valuable because you have in your mind the kind of things that they want
2: to know yeah for sure um there's some job so satisfaction write, there like and yeah. knowing that you're delivering something that's you know they actual yeah they, they, yeah. they want yeah. They, they give a shit about something yeah. they probably yeah. dreaded for you know weeks before it and then actually looking exactly. at it and going like oh wait right so yeah stuff might be shit but you know mm-hmm. I'm now. I've got the confidence, like having spoken to somebody that knows you know, exactly what they're talking about, and they spent some time uh, that they'll be able to fix it. So I guess that's a relief for them, as and you get some enjoyment too.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and I think uh, also something i think probably a lot of us deal with um kind of overcoming your own ego mm. um that's a, that's a really really tough problem and something i don't think a lot of people are willing to talk about that they have big egos uh, i think there's a lot of kind of comments thrown around that this is a very egotistical industry and there's a lot of that's big characters ma- massive. yeah i mean um,
0: i'll be i'll be the first to admit i've got an ego yeah. absolutely like uh, yeah. there's, there's no hiding in it but it's
1: it yeah it's, it's a, a double
0: edged sword. Because it's having an ego is useful, but not being an, too egotistical is, is also yeah. an applicable thing you need to do. Having an yeah. ego, not not being like oh fucking Billy Big Balls over here fucking swinging that boot, but <laughs> nobody or, or apart from it. from
2: Scotland's going to understand half of Billy Big <laughs>
1: <laughs> But it's very true, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, learning learning to, to kind of compartmentalize and and to suppress your ego a little bit because when you're when you're the longer you spend in the industry the the more you commit yourself to the role the more you learn the more you try to perfect your craft um and I personally I do see it as a craft I see it as something I try to refine and, and improve and and perfect every day um while you're doing that you might get praise and praise is like a real genuine double-edged sword because in the one hand you're like oh that's awesome like I actually got recognized for Mm -hmm. all this hard work that I put in and then on the other hand you're like oh I'm really good and despite people you know like I'm someone who's personally very self-critical but when someone goes good job i might not outwardly acknowledge it but inside i'm like yes mm-hmm. i did it I've, I've done it i'm good at the thing um, well,
0: ob- obligatory andy mentioned just just in, in <laughs> the news
1: <laughs> yeah um so so i think tempering that um, as you go along, like acknowledging that praise is, is good and not a lot of people get it as well. Like, I I think that's also something that's a bit of a problem, um, that we don't have great feedback cycles in the industry, about you know, telling people when they're doing a good job and, and kind of reinforcing good behavior and good, good kind of attitudes and activities and stuff. So, um, yeah, tempering that over time and, and trying to keep your ego in check is, is a, is just as much of a full-time job um be mindful oh, of your of yeah. your
2: actions and the totally. what happens due to your actions like you know uh, yeah. yeah 100% because you could probably quite easily a lot of people go through life um and you know, they, they might be naturally good at speaking to people, but that doesn't mean you mm-hmm. can't get better at it if you maybe just pay a, pay a little bit of attention. And that applies to me as well. Uh, that's not my ego getting in <laughs> the way. Like, I'm 100% could be yeah. an egotistical times. You've got to keep track of it. Like You've got to be mindful of it. Yeah. You've got to be mindful of the words that are coming out of your mouth and how they, how they affect things.
0: Wait, yeah. Certainly, you've, you've got to... Take every day as a school day as well, and mm-hmm. going back to the mindfulness. I mean, one of the things I'm known for, and I, I was called yesterday a cyber comedian. And I'm not at all. I'm not funny. <laughs> I don't know anyone who thinks I'm funny. <laughs> d- d- fuck knows. But the the discussion around my brand is I'm known for being offensive, and it's something that I don't mind because it, it's just the way in which I operate, and I, I find it more comfortable to to swear. It's kind of how I how I convey. I mean, being from Glasgow, it's how I convey things like it's fuck just is a conversation. It is punctuation. Yeah. But people who are maybe not quite from the same area don't quite get that and they do mm. they get offended and that's that's their fucking problem. Like this.
2: <laughs> I'm not gonna be dropping F bombs in a client call anytime soon, but like yeah. <laughs> I am also wondering. You made a brand out works But it's
0: not something I mean so the the thing is as well it's it's not something that i do all the time i don't i don't swear on client calls i try and keep professionalism as much as possible unless the client sets the precedent because they are (laughs) leading the conversation (laughs) exactly but the the um the thing around like i i I watched one of my i mean i i tend to watch all my talks back and not that's not from an egotistical perspective but it's from the everyday's of a school day and improving upon what you Mm do and there is two talks i've given in my career uh, both of which have been recorded. Um, both of which are available, I think, on YouTube. One of them, Anyway. Um, other video streaming sites are available. Oh, other, other video streaming yeah, Anyway. <laughs> but they are the only two talks I've ever delivered where I've not sworn. I, I, I tell a lie. The, the Bloodhound one I swore under my breath on a lapel mic into the microphone. I didn't realise it was a lapel mic and everyone <laughs> fucking heard it. I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. It's a fucking lapel. Oh, bollocks. And then just, yeah, it went a bit tits up from there.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then, I think... Uh, oh sorry I carry
0: on the, 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 the last bit and the other talk I gave was, was pre-recorded it took me 14 attempts to record the talk without swearing because it's it's just so natural and then and... and then I gave a talk two weeks later to school kids and used used fuck used fuck and I forgot that kids mm-hmm. find it funny when you say fuck so So yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> dropping f bombs to kids. Well, I didn't think the podcast yeah. was going to go there that way. but like well, I, I mean I, I talk You're right to kids for generation. years.
0: Ne- next generation not more mini
2: man like the world can't handle it like it's 2020 boomers like, on the rise mate, again we can't have many Andy's, The drum
0: but... the drum just the just the drum.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think I think certainly ego is is certainly one of my biggest personal challenges and something I I've, I've dealt with since since day one in in the industry and it's something that you you constantly have to 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 stay aware of Check. um particularly particularly uh, uh, you know relating back to communicating with with people effectively communicating with clients communicating communicating with people on different levels um is the other person that you're talking to probably knows a, a huge amount about stuff you don't know mm. and so you know it's recognizing that although you might be the authority in the thing that you're talking about at this moment in time that doesn't make you smarter than that person it doesn't make you better than that person it doesn't mean that you have the authority to talk down to that person you can't act like those people are stupid or they don't know what they're doing or that you know they're in the wrong job or anything like that and i think that again all ties back into that that empathy you know maximizing your empathy and minimizing you know that 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 um um, kind of uh, demonstration of your ego, so to
2: speak, yeah. you know? No, 100%. And do you know what I really like about this podcast? Like, no, quite often we will kind of go into a lot of kind of technical stories, you know, and we will talk a lot about getting um, yeah, at the actual technical side of security, but uh, one mm. thing, as a beginner myself, like, you know, to a degree, like, um, these aren't things you read about Like, these aren't the things that I've been in any of the certifications I've been working towards. Like, maybe they are there and I've just not seen them. But, you know, it's not. But yet they seem so important to getting that final job done. Like, um, and I think, yeah, I've I've liked this cast for that reason. Because these are things I think people should think about. It's things I should think about as well. Like, and yeah it's been very interesting in that regard um, I was just going to say like we've kind of we're trying to keep the episodes down to like an hour and a half at the moment uh, because yeah. some of them have we've went got a bit 15 rude 15 minutes dick. left so we've got 15 <laughs> minutes which I mean I've, I
0: think I wanted to say one thing
2: about yeah, just on that topic in, yeah. of,
0: of bringing people along the same fire in they, 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 fire in all right fucking, fire in to be fair for the Ouija cast we've said very little Ouija so. we have done we have spoken very much little fucking words there's been speak. a lot
2: of swearing I'd probably put this up there in the most sweary of casts but... <laughs>
0: anyway <laughs> what i was saying was b- bringing people up to the same level is really important and it's something that we've covered in the cast a lot is when you certainly the, the methodology of teaching that i've applied to things and applied to the, the latest blog post is if you can bring people to the same level operating from uh like m- my colleague neil lines who we've had in the podcast before does this perfectly he operates he writes he speaks like you don't like you know nothing not from the mm-hmm. fact that he is better than you but he tries to bring everyone to the same level mm. and i've adopted that mentality for everything that i write now be it a report, be it a blog post, be it my book, Uh, try and kind of, or even just the cast. If you're explaining something, if you explain it at a level in which someone who maybe has a minimal technical understanding can get get a hold of the concepts and then build on it from there, you're going to bring everyone up to the same level. And it's feedback I've had on my my latest post about zero logon, whereby it's quite quite a trivial vulnerability in Windows, but um, the explanation of it is so clear that y- anyone could pick it up and exploit domain controllers mm. if they wanted to. Now, I yeah. wouldn't advocate for it outside of a lab because it's fucking dangerous, but like.
1: Obey the CMA.
0: Uh, it, well, <laughs> yes, that as well. Computer misuse Act, although, or in the States, just don't fucking do illegal shit. Crime is bad. bad. Yeah. Don't do crimes. Do creams instead. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the rising tide lifts all ships, right? So uh, yeah. yeah, I, I, if I uh, you said that earlier, and I, I love that phrase because it's, it's so true. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Completely agree.
1: I think I think it's certainly one of the challenges the industry has. Um I think. Uh, what i've certainly seen and, and i won't name any names and i'm not going to imply any particular generations of people in the industry or anything so what i've seen <clears throat> is uh, perhaps a reticence to share knowledge amongst certain people and between certain kind of disciplines um which almost seems to stem from a fear of uh some whippersnapper coming and taking your job mm. you know somebody learning how to do what you do and and pipping you to the post because they're younger and they're more agile about it mm. and, and and so there's, agile there's certain, what yeah <laughs> so i think there's certainly a fear of that um but what i've found un, un, un unquestionably unequivocally um unequivocally trying to speak right <laughs> good, trying to trying to do the words correctly um <laughs> yeah what i found more than anything else is the people that i have that have been willing to share with me the people who have been kind and gracious enough to kind of impart their knowledge um those people are people i like to model myself after and when you associate with those people you often then find that you're associating with the same kinds of people through them and and there's certainly although there are there's a lot of gatekeeping in the industry there's a lot of kind of barriers to entry i think there is a a a core community that does exist that really does want to lift everybody up that does want to to kind of open doors and and create opportunities for people um and i think at this time more than probably any time in 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 the past you know however many years um that's that's even more important i think with people trying to get into university, some people maybe choosing not to go to to university because of COVID or choosing to go down, you know, different graduation and different certification routes. Um, And then the lack of community events kind of shutting the door for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think, I think even, even more so now than ever, we as a community need to be reaching out and and offering a hand. Um, That doesn't necessarily need to take the form of saying, okay, here's a job application and I'll get you a job because not everybody can offer that, but but being willing to share your knowledge, being willing to you know to give up a bit of your time, um, and time is, that... time
0: is priceless, and it's something yeah. that people often look past a lot. I mean, yeah, people charge different amounts t- amounts of monetary value for their time, but mm-hmm. realistically, mm-hmm. if you can offer someone five minutes of advice, it might give them. Five decades of experience.
2: Arguably it's the yeah. nicest thing you can ever do, <laughs> is give someone your yeah. time they yeah. need to, like, and that's definitely an attitude to have, and like you say, uh, birds of a feather fought together, so like, if you yeah. Fucking speak to, what? I, I don't mean, understand. Yeah, all of them, them. all them, but it's true, like... Busting them out. Yeah, but if you, like you said, like, if you meet someone that's, you know, kind of, uh, nice, willing to help you, give you the time, they probably socialise yeah. with those people, other people, because, yeah. like you, Andy, with Paul, um, Paul Ritchie, yeah, you know, you're helping me, and Paul helps you, uh, and has helped you throughout your career. And now, Paul's helping me. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, and it's because very similar people, and I think it's a lot of people pull together because it is so difficult, and it's so hard to have all this knowledge yourself, and it is spread out over multiple people. And uh, yeah, if you can get involved with some of those, like you'll probably find yourself in the position that I'm in, uh, and you know, have loads of good people you can kind of go to when you've got issues. Like,
0: definitely. Yeah. So I think, we've got like ten minutes left, so I think we should fire into some that's actual questions. Let's cool for You were, were going to say the way on you, on you go. All I was
1: going to say really quickly was um, I think um, that uh, given given that the the kind of the community events and stuff are are a little bit waylaid right now that i think when things come back i think there's maybe room to have a bit of a rethink about how we do some of these community events because um a common kind of issue that i hear is is sort of an an age barrier especially because a lot of conferences involve drinking and and alcohol and things like that and that it can often be in and of itself a, a, a gating that prevents people who are about to break into the industry who are young and you know can't go to the pub it kind of stops them almost from having that opportunity. Yeah. So I think it's certainly something that needs, needs to kind of be rethought. And and often the retort is, you know, we have a daytime conference and then there's an after party. So you can talk to people during the daytime conference and it's like, well, everybody's sitting and talks for, you know, six, of, six of the eight hours, you know, so it's not as much opportunity. Um, so I think maybe that's something that, that we as a community can maybe, Maybe look to to fill that gap at least.
0: Yeah, forty four con Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Just saying. <laughs> just saying right now. It will happen. It will. It's happen. Got to- <laughs> so on on to actual questions. I mean, we've 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 skipped through quite a lot of interesting points. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm to ask, ask you the last two questions, um, and then we're going to jump onto kind of questions that previous guests have asked because they're okay. they're quite important. Um, so um, all the things we've d- discussed today. What what are your plans for the future? Like, where do you see yourself in like five? also even 10 years' time?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the answer to that question changes every day. Um, <laughs> uh, I find a new thing that I, I love and I'm like, oh, this is so interesting. I'm so excited about this. I'm going to go and do that. Um, I, I can be, I think, on a day-to-day basis, I'm pretty fickle about it. Um, thinking about it more seriously, um, where I'd really like to transition to probably is uh, maybe an internal security role or or, or maybe um at least the blue team role or sort of externally consulting in blue team kind of stuff um i think experience in offensive security has been really valuable but i i often that there's there's sort of a um a sadness i guess in in going and testing something and not getting to see the fruits of your labor not getting to see the outcomes um Yeah. And, and often as well, testing something and coming back and nothing's changed and feeling like you've kind of done a, a good deal of work and you try to commit to your craft. You try to, you know, do something really, really well and it almost falls on deaf ears. So I think maybe in, in a more internal role, there's, there's greater opportunity to at least to see some of the, some of the, the value of, of your, of your work. And I know that's not the case everywhere. And I know everywhere has its, you know, every, everywhere has its, its good parts and its bad parts. Um, and then ideally, you know, on in the vein of talking about, you know, sharing knowledge and, and, you know, helping other people, I'd like to probably move to something in a more team leader kind of management role um, and really give kind of go into kind of knowledge sharing and, and helping to build up other testers who are, who are kind of getting into the industry, I think.
2: Amazing. Yeah, that sounds like uh, it's going to be a really kind of positive uh, kind of... Yeah, next couple of years for you, I guess. So whenever you kind of go mm. down that route, uh, something new, for sure.
0: I'm going mm. to skip up. I mean, there's there's, there's lots of questions we haven't covered here, but there's a few interesting ones that I collected here. Like, So what's the kind of biggest difference? That you, also, sorry, I'm hogging the mic. No, there's, there, there'll be questions oh, in go. here for you, eventually. <laughs> fine. Um, What, What's kind of the most interesting thing that you've noticed or kind of the biggest change you've noticed right now uh, compared to when you first started in the industry?
1: You're going to hate me for saying it.
0: No, no, go for it. It's
1: cloud security, mate. <sighs> <laughs> Darwin, at your heart out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think the migration to off-premise, um, you know, s- software as a service, platforms as a service, infrastructure as a service. Um, it's been you know gradually happening for for well over a decade, really. But it's it's certainly accelerated in 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 the past five ten years. Um so I think, yeah, I think that's definitely the, the the most significant change. I think is to go with that. Um there's a lot of traditional technical expertise that's trying to manage very modern, very novel technical architecture and and, and uh platforms and things. Uh and that leads to a lot of kind of great confusion. Um, it can kind of be boiled down to we're seeing kind of an old traditional network being shoved into the cloud and nothing can have been done to integrate it with the cloud platform, the cl- cloud service and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is really positive for, or I suppose really beneficial for the security industry. Cause it's, there's a lot of room there to come in and help and, and advise. Um, but I think also that it also means we have to be cautious. Um, isn't,
0: isn't the cloud just somebody else's computer?
1: <laughs> it's just, it's just someone else's computer. Um, <sighs> Yeah, I think we need to be cautious because of the way that, that so much stuff is moving to these platforms as a service and infrastructures as a service and things like infrastructure as code um, and containerization um, means that a lot of the more traditional testing techniques are ineffective. You know, scanning a box that's only up for 10 minutes is is kind of a moot uh, practice. Um, so you have to learn how to review infrastructure code instead, review Ansible scripts or Terraform and and so yeah i think that's definitely the biggest the biggest change and and i think that there's a lot of resistance to it mm. um and and it's something that people really just need to embrace it, it's coming whether you think it's a good idea or not it, it, it is going to have a a continually dramatic effect on on the
2: way we do what we do yeah, no point burying your head in the sand on that one like it's coming like, and yeah, yeah the sooner you get on board with it you might just be one of the people on the bleeding <laughs> yeah. edge and yeah yeah that sounds like a good space well, to be honest
0: I wouldn't even just say it's coming it, it's is, already yeah, it's, it's it is already here it's already here for a lot of companies I mean, I hate, not not even hate to say it I mean, <laughs> cloud, cloud isn't something that I have a particularly massive interest in but we do use it a lot in red teaming and and threat actors are using it i mean everyone everyone's using the cloud or some form of cloud computing be it like aws or azure or or google cloud or any really any vps provider technically speaking is a cloud provider because Mm -hmm. you are operating on their infrastructure be it your own dedicated server or a, a virtual private server you are using shared infrastructure which is what the cloud is essentially it's a fancy way of saying cloud infrastructure with various other things as a service but
1: yeah i think people will get tired of the term cloud eventually and we'll just start calling it like shared infrastructure or or something like that um, public public be...
0: private cloud all, all that fun stuff there's, yeah, there's yeah. So, so much so much um terminology behind it with that it yeah, confuses people, but the, yeah. the core, the core of it is it's someone else's computer. Realistically,
1: <laughs> well, if anybody <laughs> wants to give themselves a heart attack, they can go and have a look at the, um, uh, the cloud native computing foundations landscape you can just stick that into google and is that
0: that picture that's got like yeah, nine million things on it?
1: yeah so it, it kind of gives you a very high level overview of the technologies that are involved in the various different stages and steps of the modern kind of devops lifecycle, like orchestration and automation pipelines continuous development uh, uh deployment uh publishing and things like that um uh, containerization and it will terrify you because if you look at even just one of these minor spaces uh there's there's 15 major technologies and a dozen or so minor technologies that are vying for the same space and they're all then themselves kind of amalgamated by other tools that integrate them and and contrast them so so there's yeah i think just looking at that alone really should give you the the perspective you need to go this is a really big, big thing. And and if you don't start now, the, the, the uphill kind of struggle is only going to get steeper and steeper. We'll put that in the Trying show notes, I
0: think. Left right. behind.
2: Yeah, for sure. Right. <sighs> the yeah.
0: fucking show notes. <laughs> 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 nah, no, so, so skipping, skipping on to the actual questions. These are questions that previous guests have asked. I'll let Dave ask them because I've kind of been doing all this speaking. No, on no,
2: no. pulling your weight, pulling your weight. Um, what was uh, the best and the worst thing you learned... And 2019 so we might have to refresh that question soon because we're getting to the end of the year uh, but um, yeah yeah okay the best and worst thing
1: uh so the best thing i think i learned in 2019 uh was right near the the start of the year i changed i changed jobs and i realized that uh i probably realized more of my own worth um as a tester and and my value Uh, and recognizing that my value isn't in the role that I fill in the company Mm -hmm. but in the skill set that I bring to the company Um, which is a really tough thing I think for for a lot of people to kind of they see themselves oh I'm a I'm a security consultant at this company and that's how I fit into the industry rather than I have this skill set that is 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 growing and growing every day and that's why I'm selling to this business Um, so that's the best thing certainly Um, I suppose the 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 worst thing i learned uh that's a tough yeah, one it's a tough one um, but...
0: or like biggest regret it biggest, it doesn't yeah. do <laughs> need to be <reword> that question <laughs> or, but... <laughs> me, no, me, meeting bad. andy gill that
1: would be the... <laughs> i think
0: it's a really important
1: question um i, I was going to say about coronavirus because it did come in the end of 2019 but but I, I didn't really know about it till till the till 2020 so you know um, what? i can
2: spell over like i'm perfectly fine with the shitness of 2020 <laughs> by spelling over to yeah i suppose learning
1: that yeah i suppose between the two years learning that that you can tell people the plain facts and they're still going to be like it's nah, just I'm the not flu
2: mask. God, it's the flu that is absolutely go, go. yeah
1: <laughs> um and that people will, will will rationally try and argue with them as well. And it's like, uh, you know, it, it, it's banging your head against the wall.
2: I've learned a um, lot about it's, people in the last two years in that regard. So I, I maybe be yeah. giving people too much credit.
1: Yeah, for a long time. yeah it's wasted effort. <laughs> the, 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 uh, you know, they're they're uh, people who just try to exhaust you. So you're better off spending your time on self, self-development, self self-improvement, um, and, and kind of surrounding yourself with people who have, you know, uh, have a more
0: open open attitude about things a, so yeah. i suppose feeding off of that question i mean we discussed regrets but what's been your biggest regret in your career what what's like mm. what do you wish that you could have done if, if you could go back in time from right now to any point in your career what do you wish that you could have done that you haven't um or is there anything it could be that there is nothing <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm, no, no, uh, regrets. no regrets. <laughs> um, awesome.
1: Um, yeah, no. I think I think I certainly would have started earlier. I would have gone to uni earlier if I'd have known the opportunities that were available, um, and I could have been in the industry, you know, four or five years earlier, um, and and you know that potentially would have done wonders for for my career. But it also might have been a, a an even greater struggle because um, when I came into the industry, I was already in my mid twenties, and I was quite mature about kind of uh, a lot of things. And that I think really, really helped. Um, but yeah, I think uh, probably staying around at places longer than I should have because I wasn't confident that I was going to succeed if I tried to jump ship. Mm, that's um, an interesting. Would one. be my biggest regret. Yeah, yeah. No, Knowing your value. Not- yeah, I, 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 absolutely. And that's a really hard thing. And I think that's why it's good to surround yourself with people who are very positive and, and give you lots of feedback, whether it be positive or negative. You know, there's there's no value in an echo chamber or, or yeah. you know, sycophants, but, but being around people who will both critique you as my group of friends definitely do um <laughs> and they me on, a daily, on a daily <laughs> basis um but also when when you're doing things right and when you're doing something you know positive and successful they will come out and go that's really good man you're you're, you're doing good work there and you're 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 really improving and they push um, you, yeah. that's i think that's push you
2: important. and keep like yeah yeah. Just yeah, keep, you up. yeah keep you honest keep you on keep you honest that's a that's a Fucking great phrase right there. Uh, well, f- I guess oh, so maybe finish with one last question. If that
0: no, 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 uh, there's there's two too. there's two or three more questions. Okay, <laughs> no, three, three more what? questions. Right. on?
2: No, that's fine.
0: Right, right. <laughs> so, so a question we asked before we started recording was from Mr. John Carroll. Um, <laughs> what's what's been the most embarrassing point in your career, and did it arouse you? <laughs> um.
1: Wow. Glad uh, <laughs> you not it, okay. me. <laughs> Yeah, that's a Cheers John. That's a that's a quality one. Um it's a
0: a very John question to be
1: fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean Um I suppose That's a really tough question. I genuinely can't think of a time that I've been like actively embarrassed in my job, like uh i've been oh i have been shouted at by a client like in in like face to face we we were we were uh, on site and we'd only been there like an hour or so we'd just gotten set up just got network access and i was with uh a senior tester and he started an nessus scan off on the network and for some completely obscure reason decided to flick the scan printers option in (laughs) nessus and and it was probably 15 minutes later that this this guy came in i think he was like one of the senior kind of project leads or something and he he was genuinely like beat red roaring like 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 a lion he blasted through these double doors like whatever you're doing you need to stop and absolutely screaming at us and i I just went into like i was like oh my god i'm back at school and shrunk like and disappeared into my chair (laughs) i was like I'm not scanning anything. It's definitely not my fault. Like, and, and looked over to, to, to my colleague and he was equally like, oh shit, I'm in school. I'm getting told off by the teacher. I done um, fucked up. Yeah. And he was like, oh, we'll have a look and double check. He totally like, he he ended up admitting to the client, you know, you know what the reason was, but we let him go away. Um, and then went and explained it to him after he wasn't trying to murder the pair of us. So yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, I don't, I'd, I'd be better now. This is, this was a couple of years ago, but, But yeah... um i didn't deal well with that pressure like i immediately just shrunk and i, I i'm i'm sure i was bright red mm. just just kind of hunkered down like a like a child getting told on
2: adrenaline hit on that man like see if you don't expect <laughs> yeah. to get shouted fight that, that and you get fucking yeah. shouted that yeah 100 percent.
1: well the flip side would have been bad wouldn't it like mm. a f- full Glaswegian, like jumping the table like what'd you say <laughs> <laughs>
2: just <laughs> grabbing a ruler uh, and just smashing it'd be fucking <laughs> it was in it was in
0: america this era this year with a client and uh, somebody somebody like guy ex-marines bust in and, and he was like fuck are you doing like why because we were doing a covert red team and we were on site and the mm-hmm. d- people people from the client knew we were on site but this guy didn't he was like what are you doing why are you here and i was like who are you talking to what are you on about because because obviously we were there to to emulate a threat so like obviously i would, I would sure. challenge someone and the guy got really kind of defensive i was like you're shouting at me why the fuck are you shouting at me and He was like he, he kind of stepped back a bit and he was like oh right uh, then he fucked off i was like right okay fucking fucking thought so pal. Fuck. quality
1: tradecraft yeah. Just fucking swear at him and put the brogue on and he'll get rid <laughs> of any any curious folk. He's just got guild. Pretty much. <laughs>
0: you got fished, mate. You got fished. That was like that was a good one. That was a good joke. That is good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, other questions. So actually one from Phil, one of our one of our colleagues, also a previous guest. If you mm-hmm. could teleport anywhere, would he's become a thing of the past?
1: Uh, if I could teleport? Oh, yeah, like you, if everyone
2: could if teleport. You could, if you could, teleport. I don't think it's everybody. Then, of course, I think it's not. Every, everybody. Like, way, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, if we could teleport,
1: I don't think so. Because, ultimately, if you started teleporting, like you'd want to be teleporting somewhere with people, right? Like, mm. and yeah, you know, o- o- only maybe... six
0: people though, no, no more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I guess where would you teleport to? like if it wasn't a place where there's other people and then what's you know what what what's a big group of people eventually called like you know once they've built houses and stuff it's a city right so yeah i don't know i guess i guess it would be very different um uh but if everybody could teleport it kind of almost defeats the purpose it's not quite so unique i suppose you could just teleport wherever you wanted and chat to people you would never chatted to
2: before but
0: yeah be Just yeah. teleporting but straight
2: it- into like Fort Knox, like it's pen <laughs> testing. We get a lot <laughs> fucking easier, I'm sure. But that's,
0: but that's crime, Dave. Come on, cream, for that's the gold, cream.
2: Mate.
0: cream sorry, that's cream. Another question <laughs> yeah. from Phil that was asked on Twitter. Something about teapots. What's your favorite teapot?
1: My favorite teapot is my teapot um, that took the better part of two weeks to arrive because uh, the online e-commerce site, which will remain nameless, absolutely balls it up like three times. Um,
0: is that a it a type of rainforest?
1: Is it a type of rainforest?
2: Oh it is. yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um it's ran by Lex Luther. Yeah, yeah, another one. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in his
1: in his Gilet. Um Yeah, so my my teapot's a stump teapot. Um I think it's made by by 4 life. Other teapot vendors are available. Um and yeah, it's brilliant. Um I bought a bunch of different teas for it and it's it's been uh, and a totally unnecessary exercise, but it's it's kind of it's kind of therapeutic. I want to publicly and the shame. Reason, the reason why, right yeah, now, yeah the, right. reason, the reason why
0: we're, remo- we're removing Phil from the episode is, how do you have your tea? <laughs> <laughs>
2: why well, the um, ASMR? Like, that is so creepy. But, I, 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 I I don't do really know. Tea. <laughs>
1: I have my tea. Like, How do you like have a your tea? normal person? I take the teabag out after it's finished brewing and then I put oh, the milk in. Thank and you. anyone who does the anyone who does different is is a heretic.
2: If you had said and... anything other than that, I literally wouldn't have published this episode. I just wouldn't edit it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there's been a full on Twitter fight about this for, for like the hour or two before the before the show started. Yeah. Um
2: yeah, unacceptable. If you're listening to this Yaki, yeah, you're on your last warning. Right? change your yeah. ways or you're never back. told you once mate told you once <laughs> told you once I'm not telling you again uh, I think that takes us to about an hour and 40 minutes so final, got any final questions final question.
0: anything you'd like to plug of course Um can we break for just a second I'm
2: dying for a yeah, push yeah hey, why not? of course <laughs> <you can>. <laughs> <laughs> I might just keep this in Andy so let's just keep on Oh uh, yeah we should so just, just chat we're talking about plugging was... things like uh yeah everybody should go and read uh, Andy's uh, zero login login blog because you're going to be hearing about this for a while by the sounds of it. Would you agree, Andy?
0: Yeah, it's probably arguably the next MSO8 MSO8067 Net API being probably one of the most famous Windows vulnerabilities, whereby it was a an exploit against SMB. Zero logons uh, a an exploit against well is it is SMB but it's also against the the logon service for domain controllers. Um, and I've written a nice in depth blog post that talks about it from both an attacking perspective and a defending perspective mm. because the methodology to teach people and for people to understand issues is to build them, then break them, and then learn how to defend them and then finally how to how to fix and them. And that's where hack the box
2: can. kind of is not ideal in that regard, because you're just yeah, you're not learning to build the box, you're just learning to attack it. And that's I think that's why well, oh, one wee thing I want to plug for somebody else. Uh TG Null on oh, yeah. Twitter has put out uh, how to build a lab. Um that's gonna be my weekend, thankfully I'm off the next three days after tomorrow. Uh, and yeah I'm going to look into doing that so that I can do exactly as we just discussed there rather than just attacking stuff actually start building it and get a better idea of the fundamentals
0: and and Aiden can listen back to this afterwards or I'll tell him about it when we stop recording because he sounds like he's just got back
2: yeah, I was about to
1: say if you guys left in that bit about me riding off about it's not going, going yeah, to rear right? like, <laughs> <It's right. absolutely laughs> that. Absolutely staying there. Honestly, yeah, so like I, I thought it was a really smart idea to drink a whole cup of tea right before the show, <laughs> me too. and then like those last five minutes, I was just like, oh no, mistakes right were made.
2: Mistakes yeah. <laughs> yeah. were made. at least you made the two. No, right? So what?
0: What would you like to plug?
1: Um, if anything, like plug i kind of i kind of got rid of all my internet presence in the last couple of months like just uh i guess like regressing offline like Mm. get off social networks and stuff so i don't have a lot to plug um i guess um i'd like to plug ouija cast this is really cool podcast uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they have fantastic guests yeah. especially their most recent one um, I mean plugging yeah. something
2: on the show kind of has that effect of you'd have to have listened to the show prior to Like what we might do is cut this part out and use it as an advertisement so thank you very much we'll pay you we'll pay you immediately <laughs> after the show
0: just, just in tea bags alone yeah. we'll send you some yeah. Yorkshire <laughs> Mate, it's all about fucking peppermint tea, peppermint tea yeah, or rye. Fuck it.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> on, on that note, thank you for listening to episode fifteen of Ouija Cast. I've been Andy. Oh, you've been Dave. All right, cool. Uh, I've been Aiden. Have I'm you? Dave.
1: That's a that's a terrible <laughs> sign off. Oh, it's oh, a fucking awful, awful sign off. <laughs> just quick stop. <laughs>